Isaiah 49, commencing at 13th, the 13th verse. verse. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. For thy waste and thy desolate places, and the land of thy destruction, shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the others, shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me, that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these, saying, I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Saviour, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One, or the Mighty One of Jacob. Uh, we'll end our reading there at the end of uh, the, the uh, chapter, I think I misread that last bit. I'll read that last verse again because I took the glasses off too quickly. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh that shall know that I am the Lord, I the Lord am thy Saviour and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I hope that's got it right at this time. May I say a very warm word of welcome to each one that is here for our service in the Free Presbyterian Church here in Calgary. We're glad to see you. If you're visiting, as I am, uh, then you are most welcome. My daughter uh, is here with me. I had uh, our younger daughter last week. Now I have the oldest in the family and her daughter uh, this week, and they're staying with me until Saturday. So it's nice for me to have their company, and uh, God willing, I'll continue after they have returned uh, to Northern Ireland. Uh, choose, oh, better not forget, to meeting tonight, six o'clock, uh, Prayer time, half past five, 
And this evening, I want to speak about getting away from the Lord, how easy it is and how terrible the consequences if you're Christian and you're saved and you get away from the Lord, how dreadful that is. So we'll be looking at that uh, in the service this evening. And we'll also see how a person who has got away from the Lord may be restored to fellowship. Tuesday night, the prayer meeting at seven o'clock here in the church, and uh, I'm going to continue our study on the Beatitudes. We looked at the first one, and on Tuesday night, we'll look at the second one. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Next Lord's Day, morning service at 11 o'clock, and the gospel service at 6 p.m., and God willing, I'll be with you again uh, to preach uh, both in the morning and in the evening. Now, immediately after the service this morning, there will be a communion service. That is for those who are saved. If you've repented of your sins and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you are most welcome uh, to stay with us. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. Uh, but please, uh, if you're not walking with the Lord or you're not saved, uh, it is not right because the Bible says that if we eat or drink unworthily, uh, we eat and drink damnation or condemnation. We don't want that. So uh, if you're saved and going on with the Lord and seeking to go on, then please, uh, you're welcome to remember Christ's death in the way that he has appointed. I hope that's everything by way of... Oh, there is a, a committee election uh, on the 19th of the month. That's on a Tuesday night. And the Reverend Golliker... Uh, who is the interim moderator here, he will be present and I will assist him in conducting uh, that uh, deacon's election. Now, I hope I've covered everything uh, and I hope our next hymn uh, has a familiar tune to it. I'll sit through it and uh, you may stand nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart, draw me my saviour, so precious thou art. Uh, hymn number 464, standing to sing this hymn. And the offering baskets at the back so we don't take up an offering just to make that clear to you.
We'll bow together briefly in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt bless us now as we turn to thy word. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Breathe out thy Spirit upon us. Guide our thoughts in all that we say and in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My text is found in Isaiah chapter 49 and the verse 16. And God says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. In the verse 14 of this chapter, we hear the complaint of God's people because they think that the Lord has forgotten all about them. And they say, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. That isn't the case. Of course, indeed, it's very far from being the case. Because in verse 15, the Lord says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? And he says, Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. God chooses the image of a woman with a child that she's looking after and nourishing. And he asks, could she forget that child? Very, very unlikely. But he says, she might. In extreme circumstances, she might. But I'll not forget you. I remember reading uh, quite a few years ago about a young man who was on trial for his life. I, I think he had committed murder. And he had, he had behaved most heinously most wickedly. His behavior was mightily depraved. And when all the details came out in the court case, there wasn't a friend, there wasn't a person that would have befriended that boy. Everyone would have been ashamed of his behavior except one person. And that one person was his mother. She sat through that court case. She listened to all the harrowing details of what her son had done. And when it came to the verdict and he was found guilty of a crime that carried a capital sentence at that time, she was there, she listened to the verdict, she listened to the sentencing, and the young man was duly executed for his crimes. And his mother then asked that his body would be given to her so that she might bury his remains. At that time, if someone was committed uh, to prison and executed for a capital offence, the body of the person was always buried inside the prison grounds. And so the woman's request was refused. And her last request concerning herself and her son was that when she would die, she might be allowed to be buried beside her son. That shows you the strength of a mother's love. Tremendous love even for the most wayward of children. And yet the Lord asks, is it possible that a woman could forget her sucking child, the child that she's nourishing? Could she? And he says, yes, she may forget. And you'll see it actually in the scriptures in the time of Elisha. In a famine, the Syrians besieging the city of Samaria. And what happened? Two women made an agreement. One would kill her son, they would eat his flesh, and then the other would kill her son, and they would eat his flesh. Horrible thought, horrible thought. But one of them did it, and then the other one, she hid her son, 
And the woman complained to the king of Israel. How unnatural, you might say, is that? It's an extreme case. And the Bible's showing us it's extremely rare for a mother to abandon her child. But even if it should happen, God says, I will never forget thee. And so our text speaks powerfully of God's great care for his people. He says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. And so I I want you to see in the first place that God's people are constantly upon his mind and upon his heart. Something that is engraved uh, on the palms of one's hands can never be forgotten. Never forgotten. Uh, People today, they engrave these tattoos. And there was a man on uh, the news recently uh, in England, and he was tattooed uh, from, uh, his face was completely tattooed. Uh, It it was most horrendous to see. Uh, But this is something different. It's speaking about something engraved on the palms of of one's hands. Now, we're not to take it literally. The idea is you have it engraven on your hands. Every time you look at your hand, you see it. And the Lord never forgets about his people. The image that is conveyed to us here is the idea of someone always constantly being reminded of something or of someone. And the hands, as we know, are part of the body. So the reminder is always to the fore. God saying to his people, I don't forget you. It's not only that I would never abandon you, I would never forsake you, but I'm always thinking about you. And of course, the word graven, it's more than a tattoo. It speaks of permanence. And remember, the Lord doesn't change. I am the Lord. I change not, he says in Malachi 3 and verse 6. And we read in Hebrews 13 and verse 8 concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the same, the same. He's the unchanging, unchangeable Jehovah. The same. Yesterday, that's time past. Today, that's time present. And forever, that is time to come. Augustus Montague Toplady has summed it all most beautifully up in his hymn, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. He says, my name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure. Uh, As sure as the earnest is given, more happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. I love those last two lines. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. In heaven. You think of it. There are saints of God in heaven, loved ones of ours, they're in the glory. They're happier than we are, much happier. They're perfectly happy. But they're not one whit more secure than we are. If you're a child of God, you're just as secure as the glorified spirits, the people of God in heaven. And notice. It is God that remembers his people rather than the other way round. He says, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. And we are prone to forget God. We are prone to wander. 
I think I quoted that uh, part of the verse last time, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Yes, we are prone to wander. We're prone to forget. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the Ephesian church is told to, uh, to remember, uh, remember from whence they had fallen. And they had forgotten to some extent. And isn't it true? You go about the business of the day, different tasks to perform. Maybe you sit down to watch something, to read something. And I'm talking not about spiritual things or about secular things. And your mind wanders away from God. You forget. You forget. Prone to wander. I feel it. Prone to leave. Yes, even the God I love, prone to leave him. We wander. We go astray. The Ephesian church They left their first love. They forgot what it was like, uh, that warmth of love for Christ, that rejoicing in his great salvation. But though we forget, God never forgets. Indeed, it's always God. It's always God who takes the initiative. In Ephesians 1 and verse 4, we are told that we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. God took the initiative in eternity past. Constantly. When I'm praying, I think of that. I thank God that he loved me in eternity past, that he chose me in eternity past, and in time he took a dealing with me and convicted me of my sins and brought me to repentance, to faith in Christ. It was God who took the initiative. And then we may think of a very visible illustration of of all of this, Christ was nailed to the cross. And where did they drive the nails in? Right through his hands. You might say, there is Christ on that cross and he can look and there he can think. He can think of this verse. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. You're precious to me. Christ is suffering there. He's bleeding there. He's agonizing there on that cross And why is he doing it? We hold up our hands to think of that. You think of Christ and the nails driven through his hands. It indicates something of his tremendous love for us. And then remember, the palms of the hands are very tender. You you get something through the palms of your hands driven through. That will hurt. It will hurt deeply. And Christ, in suffering so much, shows his tremendous love. No wonder the hymn writer said, there is no love like the love of Jesus, never to fail or fall, till into the fold of the peace of God he has gathered us all. And then to emphasize the point further, we have a a strange expression. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. We are told, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, Thy walls are continually before me. It it seems almost out of kilter with the first part of the verse. The hands, thy walls. What is that referring to? Well, the best answer I can give is what John Gill in his commentary suggests. He suggests that the image here is of an architect who has the plan of a building or a city in his hand or lying before him. And in that plan... He can envisage the whole structure as it will eventually 
appear. So uh, there's the architect, and uh, he sees it. Uh, there's no city there, or there's no house there, but in his mind, he can see that house, or he can see that city. Uh, I must admit, uh, I am very poor at visualizing things. I, I, I have a very poor imagination. Uh, I remember when I was ministering in Portland, Owen, in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, a place you've never heard tell of. But we had a plan drawn up by an architect for a new church building. At the time, we were living or, or uh, worshipping in a wooden church building, and the architect came along with a plan, a model uh, of the church. And there he depicted the church, and there was the car park, and there was the field beside, and the trees growing. can't remember. I think he had people uh, in the little model and maybe some cars in the model. And then you could see what the whole structure was going to be like. That's the way it is with the Lord. Uh, the, the Lord can see what we are going to be like. Uh, in Song of Solomon, uh, when Christ is speaking of his bride, the church, and it is a beautiful love song between Christ and the church, the Song of Solomon, uh, and when Christ is speaking of the church, he says, Behold, thou art fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. You couldn't really say that, could you? Of the people of God. I couldn't say it of myself. If you're a Christian, you couldn't say it of yourself. There are many blemishes in us, many failures. We still see how we sin and grieve and mourn and have to repent. And we say, no spot on me? All fair? Beautiful? How can Christ say that of his church? Well, there's a simple way he can. He sees us as we will be. You see, the Lord Jesus he can look out into eternity and he can see you if you're a Christian. Perfect. Without spot or blemish or any such thing. No evil thoughts in your mind. No hasty, nasty words. No cruel actions. Nothing that is wrong. Everything that is beautiful. Everything that is right. That's how Christ sees his church. Now, he's not turning a blind eye. He knows what we're like now, but he sees us as we will be. And as we will be, every child of God will be perfect in mind and on the resurrection morning, perfect in body, and of course, perfect in soul. And because he is God, nothing but nothing can hinder him from carrying out his plan to the very minutest detail. I love that expression in Psalm 138 and verse 8 where the psalmist says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. What does that mean? It means he will bring it to perfection. Think of an artist, uh, the great artists, and the artist sits down with the canvas and he or she works away and works away and works away uh, and still, it needs some finishing touches. It's not quite there yet. And the artist works on, works on, and finally, the artist is satisfied. And that, that's the end of the painting. 
if they add any more strokes, they will, they'll damage it. It'll not be perfect if they add anything more. That's how God works in the lives of his people. Some people he perfects in an hour or two after he saves them. I say that because the dying thief, he was saved for only a few hours and straight home to heaven. In paradise with Christ. The work was completed. And a great artist can, in a sense, can, can complete a painting in a matter of hours. And over others, maybe labor for days or weeks or months or even years. Well, the Lord works according to a perfect plan. Dying thief, well, uh, he's perfect in a few hours, ready for heaven. Then we think of Enoch, who walked with God after his son Methuselah was born. He was 65 when Methuselah was born. He was 365 when the work was complete. He didn't die. God took him home to heaven. 300 years. 300 years to finish the work off. He's perfect at 365. Take him home to heaven. And I suppose Methuselah, for he died just before the flood came, and I don't want to uh, digress here, but Methuselah lived to be 969 years. We don't know what age he was saved at, but imagine he was saved at 69, say, 900 years to finish the work. But God finishes the work at the right time. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. And so we come back to our text. Yea, the Lord says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I'll never forget thee. I'll never lose sight of you. I'll always be thinking of you day and night, every moment of every day. And he says, thy walls are continually before me. The whole plan is in my mind, it's in my heart, and I will bring it to perfection. And then when the work is complete, I'll take you home. And when the complete work is finished in all of the people of God, the church will be assembled with not one of the chosen of God missing the church will be assembled in glory. Now that takes me to a second point. I want you to see that God cares for each individual child of his as if, as if that person were the only person in the whole world. Notice the word thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. There's a difference between thee and you. We use you indiscriminately to speak of one person or to speak of more than one. But in the old English, thee and thou and thy, they related to one person. Whereas ye and your and you related to more than one person. And now, while the word thee refers to the people of God as a whole, nevertheless, we find God again and again applying his word to the individual Christian. Let me give you a little example of it. In the Old Testament, God spoke to Joshua. And he's speaking just to an individual. And he said to him, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You might say, well, that's just for Joshua. God wouldn't fail Joshua, and he didn't. I'll not fail you, Joshua. He didn't fail Joshua. He didn't forsake him. But then in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the promise to Joshua is given to every individual Christian. Because in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the Lord says, I will never leave thee. And this time it's not Joshua, and it's not a nation that he's speaking to. 
It's to you and me if we're saved. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And don't we love to read those words? Don't we love to hear? God won't give up on us. Other people might. The world might pour torrents of abuse upon us. But the Lord, he never deserts. He never deserts his people. And God loves, this is a strange thing. God loves every single one of his people as if he had no other person in the whole world upon which to lavish his love. We have a faint picture of that in the love of the bride and the bridegroom. And we might say, especially on their wedding day, although that sounds awful to put it that way, as if it diminished after the day uh, of the wedding. In her hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking, Anne Ross Cousin says, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. And then she says, I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. And that's the way that Christ, to turn it the other way around, looks at us. He has always loved us. He loves us now. He always will love us. And he never will forget us. Think of Hagar. She was running away from God. She was a foolish young woman. You see, Abraham's wife, Sarah, made a proposition. She said, it doesn't look as if I'm ever going to have a child uh, why don't you take my maid and marry her uh, as well as me? And she became his concubine. Concubine was a wife of lower rank. So you take Hagar, you marry her, and maybe this will be uh, the promised Messiah, or at least the line from which the promised Messiah will come. So Abraham took Hagar, he married her, and then she uh, was expecting a child, and she began to think she was better than Sarah. I'm superior to Sarai, as she was at that time called. I'm superior to her. I'm better than she is. And she became insolent. And Sarah became mad. And she treated her roughly. And uh, Sarah complained to Abraham. And he said to her, well, you do as you please with her. Uh, He took no responsibility, rather sadly. And when she was roughly treated, she ran away. She got lost in the wilderness. And there she was feeling sorry for herself, but the Lord didn't forget her. The Lord came to her. The angel of the Lord appeared to her, and he gave her instruction. And she made that wonderful statement. She said, Thou, God, seest me. Here I am, just an Egyptian maid. Nobody cares about me. And there I am, out in this wilderness. But the Lord cares. The Lord cares about me. At the end of the 1960s, I'm going to the secular world now, there was a very haunting song, Nobody's Child. Uh, And uh, it's a story, and I suppose it's fictional, but uh, it's very full of pathos. Uh, There's someone just walking past an orphanage, and it starts off, I won't sing it, (laughs) but as I was slowly passing an orphan home one day, I stopped just for a moment for to watch the children play. And that person, wandering past the orphanage, saw a little child, a blind, I think it was a boy, a blind boy. And he's saying, I'm nobody's child. No mummy's kisses. No daddy's smiles. 
Nobody wants me. I'm nobody's child. How sad the refrain. And, and sometimes we might think like that. We might think, nobody wants me. I'm worthless. I don't matter. I don't matter to anybody. There's people, that they get so depressed, they either commit suicide or they contemplate suicide. Nobody cares. That's all wrong. God cares. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus showed his care. And Hagar discovered how much God cares. Jesus Christ came because he cares. And, and Jesus Christ is God. He knows the worst about us. He knows everything. In Psalm 139, you have a tremendous psalm showing the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God. And right at the end, you see the love of God. He says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. I, I think that's a tremendous picture. More in number than the sand. If you were to go to uh, any seaside and try to count the grains of sand, your mind would be blown. Well, you think of all the sand in all the world. And the psalmist says, God's thoughts towards us are so precious, they are more in number than the sand. Now, all of this concentration on the individual, it would be impossible for a man. It would be impossible for an angel. For the angels are not divine. They are created creatures. Only God, only God could love like this. It is only because he is God that he can focus his whole attention and pour out all his love on just one of his children. God's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, as I said, but also. 1 John chapter 4, in verse 8 and verse 16, we read, God is love. He cares for us, you know, even when he appears not to do so. And I'll just give you one illustration. The Syrophoenician woman, at first Christ seemed to ignore her. And he spake not a word, the Bible says. And his disciples were saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. Now, they may have wanted Christ to heal her daughter and get rid of her, or they may have wanted him simply to dismiss her, tell her to go. And Christ appeared. He appeared to be rude. He wasn't. He was bringing her to that peak of faith, the zenith of her faith. And at the last, because he, he longed to bless her, at the last, when she said, even the dogs get the crumbs, he turned to her and he said, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt, just as you wish. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. All his love was concentrated, it seems, on that poor woman. He cared for her and he cared for her demon-possessed daughter. I say this to you. What a privilege it is to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, would you not long to have him as your saviour? Would you not want to seek him? Remember what he says? Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I want to make another point, and I know my time's gone, or very nearly gone. Such love and care 
are a source of great amazement. Notice how our text begins. It says, behold. Behold is a word of wonder. Stop. Stand still in amazement. It is amazing to realize how much God loves us when we consider what we are by nature. You know that Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was astonished. When Samuel indicated a great future to him, he said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. It's the smallest tribe. And my family is the least of the families in the smallest tribe. And later on, Samuel said, Thou wast little in thine own eyes. You were so insignificant. Well, is that not how you and I should feel when we think of God, our Creator, who made uh, the universe, uh, who made all things, who could create billions of universes by just speaking? When we think He could focus on us, and then when we think that we're sinners, in Ephesians, Paul says, You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he includes himself, among whom also we all had our conversation. The word conversation means behavior here. We all had our behavior. Uh, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature, that's you, that's me, whereby nature, the children of wrath, even as others. No wonder John Newton wrote, Amazing grace. Amazing grace. He could have put the word behold at the start of that hymn. Mightn't have rhymed. But amazing. How could God love me? An old blasphemer. An old slave trader. How could God love me? Indeed, he was so impressed that right at the end of his life, when he was in the ministry in London, he wasn't even fit to walk up into the pulpit. And they carried him up and they tried to persuade him to retire. And he said, can, can the old blasphemer, can he stop when the Lord gives him words? I, I, I have sinned so greatly against him. I can't stop now that he has done so much for me until he takes me home to glory. And isn't it amazing that in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, the Lord says that our sins and our iniquities, iniquities he will remember no more. He never forgets us but he doesn't remember our sins against us. And that should be a tremendous incentive to you and me to love and to serve the Lord. Job could say, he knoweth the way that I take. He sees me, even though I can't find him in this uh, terrible situation in which I find myself. He knoweth the way that I take. And uh, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And no matter what trouble you're in, no matter what trouble you're in, the Lord will help you. He'll carry you through. Let me read just a couple of verses from Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And then these precious words. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And God won't forget us when we come to the end of life's journey. He won't forget us. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou, 
Lord, with me thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The hymn writer J. Denham Smith said, And this I shall find, for such as is mine, he'll not be in glory and leave me behind. Isn't that beautiful? He'll not be in glory and leave me behind. As I finish up, I say to you, if you're not saved, say it yet again, come to Christ. The last gospel invitation in the Bible is in Revelation 22:17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ, and if you come, you'll be the object of his constant care. He'll never leave you, he'll never forget you, and one day he will take you home, one glorious day, take you to be with himself in heaven, and you'll be there eternally. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt apply thy truth to all of our hearts. Grant, O God, that thy hand will be upon us, that we will know round about us and underneath us the everlasting arms. Lead thy people on. Help us to appreciate all that thou hast done for us. We do pray, our God, uh, that thou wilt bless those who do not know thee. May they taste and see that the Lord is good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to sing a couple of verses of Psalm 137. Uh, no, sorry, hymn 100, sorry. Hymn 137. Uh, now I'm changing things around a little bit here because we have our communion service and some of you may not be able to stay. So uh, while we're singing the first two verses, I'll go down to the door and if you uh, come out past me then, I'll shake hands with you and then I'll come up to the front and we'll sing two more verses, the last two verses of the hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. One hundred and thirty.